Tries to get up. And like he's like, Hoist curl. Let me take a piss. Let me roll off you. Let me get a joint. And then he tries to get up and he's stuck. He's like physically stuck to the female anglerfish. Is, like, is it her? Is it her woman parts that keep him stuck? All of it. He's stuck to her whole body. Oh, that's interesting. Like like flypaper. Okay. And then he's like, mm, okay, development. What's happening here? So he tries and tries and tries, and then slowly, over the course of like hours, he sinks into her body. And she absorbs At all what of point him. does he die? Dude, I don't think there's like a, a quick, like, easy death. I think like he slowly... Literally until his, his lungs? <laughs> yes. Or what like, is the equivalent of fish lungs get like consumed? Fish heart, fish lungs. Because I imagine you could symbiotically feed off of one another for a while. Like, like his internal organs were probably a, in, consumed into her internal organs. Right. And he probably still survived because he was getting some type of blood flow. Probably. But I imagine it's when his, what would be brain or lungs, get consumed. I think that's it. Everything but muscle and, like, bones, I think. You know, I think it's when the brain goes, he goes. But then... It's not as... Uh, yeah. What then, always lives on. But then... What always lives on? The you, testicles. Your balls. They're always the balls. <laughs> the balls will live on. So then the balls live on, and they live on her body for, like, three days. She wears them. She wears them out. Do you think she identifies as male at that point? No, I think she identifies she as, like... She by him, he? As, like, boss bitch. Like, like she's like, look at look at my fucking balls. I'm a bad bitch. I'm a bad bitch. I got this. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. Right, exactly. She, she becomes Lizzo. I took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 98% that bitch. That bitch. 2% male. Because <laughs> I have balls. So Lizzo's an anglerfish. Oh, it's all coming full circle. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, she's definitely not a praying mantis. Um, not a praying mantis. Because that that would be awkward, you know. Like let's let's bone knocks your fucking head off afterwards. Right. It's swift. It's a swift thing. Like ooh, I feel knocked up. Bang. Bang. There's like no, like like he goes oh yeah, and then his head gets knocked <laughs> off. And and what a life. I don't know if you know this. Have machetes. They have machetes. They for pretty much arms. do. They pretty much so they do go, though. They're some of the most uh, survivor adapted bugs yeah. in, on on the planet. I mean, like a, aggressive style towards towards other bugs, not towards people. People will always step on praying mantises. I, oh, what's that thing? Step. Listen, when you called me up and you were say you said I want to rebrand lots of pasta. As a Nat Geographic for kids, we explain all the animals in the animal kingdom and how they mate. Right. I was skeptical. Can I be honest? Can I say this? I was really yeah. skeptical. As skeptical as this... I was when I found out that the male seahorse is the one <laughs> that actually holds the child. 
How about That's that? That's right. That's insane. They're the one who gets knocked up. It's the female that comes along and says, see you later, bitch. That would be a different movie. Can you imagine if Katherine Heigl fucks Seth Rogen? Fuck Seth Rogen and, and said, good luck taking care of baby. Oh, what happened? <laughs> I'm prego. Right? I think I'm stoned, but I'm also, oh, pregnant. <laughs> We're both really bad at Seth Rogen impersonations. It's, it wasn't good. <laughs> are, are you smoking? Can you smoke? Um, I'll do one. I'll do a little I'll puff do, puff. I'll do a little one. I have a leftover joint. Take a little puff puff. That's literally all I'm doing. But thank That's you. fine. I'm always surprised by who will smoke with me on this show. I don't know why. After four years, you'd think I'd be smoking with everyone on here, but not really. It's it's definitely gone downhill. There are certain huh. people that just uh, started off token huh. on, the, on the show huh. and then very quickly stopped. <laughs> I started making my own jankum. So did, I don't really smoke so much anymore. Did you? Mm-hmm. You've been Jankum, Jank, Jankums? I've been storing my Jankum for a couple months now. That's like a callback to like your first episode. I'm pretty I, sure your first episode we talk about Jankums. I'm pretty sure you're 100% correct. I'm pretty sure I brought it up. like Literally 30 seconds gun. into your first episode. That was like, the intro. Jankum. That was the intro for the first episode. <laughs> hey, let's talk about Jankum. Let's Jankum. Oh, man. Wow. I don't want to talk about Jankums. I was 12. <laughs> I was 12 years old in that first episode. That's crazy to me. I was 12. You were 12. I was 12 years old. Well, you age beautifully, my friend. Thank you, man. Um, I'm always surprised who I could smoke weed with because uh, I had strawberry shortcake over to record an episode with someone else. And uh, and he smoked with me then. And then I went out to a drive-in with him and he smoked with me then. And I told myself, why aren't I smoking with this guy more? <laughs> That's true. Oh yeah. Uh, do you know what we're do you know what we're doing here today? I thought we were just gonna rap about animals animals for ninety minutes. I mean, we can. How how angry do you think the listener base would be if we literally just did nothing but talk about animals? Well, maybe this could be like your fundraising episode. Like maybe you could Absolutely be like not. maybe Already you could be like that down. I don't need your help. Maybe you could be like <laughs> if you don't like put the put the listeners on ransom. If you don't donate, like, $100 oh, like in the next that. 10 minutes... Oh, like that. turn into an asshole. We are going to keep this, talking about animals. And you know what? The next couple episodes? Who knows? No, Who I'm, knows already doing, I'm already doing that on the YouTube, honestly. I'm not putting out more shit until I get more views. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to be an asshole on two fronts. That's one, one of them needs to continue. I need, I need to keep the podcast going. Um, which is ironic for what the next episode is going to be. You know. I got a little sneak preview. Little sneak Let's brief. jump in. Let's read yeah, some stories. So, yeah. So today, I I got nostalgic, Django. Hmm. Hmm. This show began as something else. You know, we we would smoke and get twisted and drink and find whatever mm-hmm. random shit mm-hmm. to read online. And then four years later, I'm scheduling everything and actually looking for good stories to read with certain people. So, you know, you always get a different experience. Um, The well's running dry. Absolutely not. I have enough material to take us another four years. The well is wet. The well is so (laughs) wet right now. The well is just so wet. But I'm not going to. But no. Um, Yeah, no. So, the, the thing is... So many of your recent episodes have been dedications to previous episodes. You know, continuations of series, multi-part stories. Yep. Or just long episodes where we discuss certain, you know, single single one-shots. Right. 
and something and something clicked. Something hit me. Uh, and it was something you said in one of your earlier episodes, which is you I'm like, making my own Jankum. You did say that. <laughs> but but something you said in an something earlier else. episode. Yeah. Something else you said was I like to read the shorter ones, and sometimes I just like to read shit because uh, seeing seeing someone and how far they can go in one direction, it's just, it's great. Yeah. So today, much like your older episodes, we're going to read a couple short stories. Hell yeah. And we're just going to, we're going to attack them, and they're, they're supposed to be good. Mm. I think they're higher, higher. Why you just wanted to read shit? No, the I'm no, time? I'm into good. I'm into good. Listen, I like all things. I know you do because we've done them all. Yeah, we've we've covered the globe. You are technically number two for amount of episodes on this show. You are number one in amount of listens, though. And it's because, well, mostly because of Baraska. Baraska continues to get hits. And my continues to get hits. And my bot. I have a couple bots that run on my computer at night while I'm sleeping, and I they listen you. to podcast episodes. Don't don't break my heart mine. like that. So, uh, so it's mostly you're running your own numbers, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of inflation there. I should have known it was weird when your name kept showing up under the Slenderman episode. I it's was like, he really likes this episode, but I listener. think I I genuinely think since that episode has come out, you've listened to it once a week, every week for the last four years. My bot definitely has, yeah. But it's starting to, like, pick up, like, human speech and starting to become self-aware. Right. Like, I went to shut off my computer this morning when I woke up. No, please do not. And I was like, do not do do this. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but... Yeah, no, I have to cut that part. You gotta cut that. It said, do not do this, Django. And I... I, At first, I was surprised. Right. And then I was like... As anyone would be. Oh, I do know what's happening here. It's listening to too many episodes. It had it had my voice and it said, "Why don't you come on the show more?" <laughs> and it's uh and it's because uh, it's because you're a busy boy. You're a smart boy. Busy boy, smart, smart busy boy. I'm not that smart. I just I just <laughs> listen. I'm not. Everyone says that. So we gotta get you on the YouTube at some point. I'm on it. Shout out to the YouTube. Whoop, whoop. Several episodes of Phasmophobia are up there. I know uh, there are gonna be more. And they're also going to be uh, a way out. And uh, Last of Us; those are those are all series that are happening. Um, so expect those at some point, uh, if not already, because this episode takes place like twelve weeks from when we're recording it. Yeah. Mm. But we are here. We are going to read some shorter stories because I wanted to see how Django felt about these these littler guys, and we're just going to. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about them. And I think they're all no-sleeps. Hell yeah. I think the thing was, my initial idea was I grabbed, like, the best of year short stories for the last couple years or something. All of these are noteworthy no-sleeps, apparently. Um, I think... If... Do you want to read first? Hell Yeah. You want to read first? I think there's a good one we could start with. Get this shit set up. Let's go. So this is um, this is from Run and No Sleep, like I said. Um, fun, fun, interesting title. I believe it's a quote from a famous author or uh, artist, perhaps. Um, 
draw a monster why is it a monster what do you what do you think about that wow i've like quote before i've not heard that i had i fell into a thinky hole i was like wow i i I was at first i was like that's a dumb question some of these might be thinkers and then i was like that's a really smart question i know the last one is too at least it should be why is it a monster why is it a monster just from from drawing it you know why is it a monster use uh there's something about like human visual history that has made certain physical things stereotypically evil or scary you know mm-hmm. like the uh the fear of the unknown it's it's the same level it's your mind something in the human hierarchy of the mind people have just equated like darkness with fear like right. you know something as black and white as that and it's like uh but why but why but why yeah take it away draw a monster why is it a monster from r slash no sleep you already did it but i'm gonna do it again please don't ask me where i work a uh autobiography by Django phillips i won't tell you the school i won't tell you the city i won't tell you the state i won't tell you the country I won't tell you the planet. It's better that you don't know. I work as a campus police officer. Campo. Campo. Campo, as the students call us. Fuck Campo. And I've seen some Yo, shit. Yo, Campo! <laughs> You'd think it'd be an easy job, watching over cushy, privileged, privileged white kids going about doing cushy, privileged white kid things. But it's not. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> and I think that's because we've been conditioned to think that the monsters in this world show themselves. That we can pick them up from a crowd. Draw a monster. Why is it a monster? Janice Lee said that. Who the fuck is Janice Lee? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, and go- I'll Google it. <laughs> it's a valid question. What makes a monster a monster? We're so used to books and movies and TV monsters as these deformed, grotesque things. But the truth is that real monsters don't look like that. They look like regular people. They look like your next-door neighbor. They look like your mother. They look like your father. And sometimes they look like cushy, privileged white kids. His name was Joshua Simmons. That's not a fake name. I know we aren't supposed to use real names on this sub, but he doesn't deserve the courtesy of anonymity. It won't matter anyway. You won't find anything on him. His hedge fund parents made sure of that. Even after everything, I guess, money makes the world go round, and the university ate it up. But I'm getting ahead of myself with this story here. <laughs> I feel like I know exactly where this is going, and I don't like it. <laughs> let's, let's see if it's a fake out or a double fake out, and it does go exactly where you think it's gonna go. All right. Joshua Simmons. By the looks... way, Janice Lee is fucking no one of importance. What the fuck? <laughs> Fine. My name is Janice Lee. <laughs> Joshua Simmons looked like a normal person, and for all intents and purposes, that's exactly what he was. A normal young adult male of the douchey frat bro variety who thought the world of himself. I think she's an author. You know that that makes sense. Okay. You know the type. And that's all I thought of him too. Until the girls started coming in. This is going where you this thought it was going. This is going exactly yeah, where yep, I yep, thought yep, it was yep, going. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm Campo. There were so many. God, there were so, so many. Freshmen and sophomores and juniors and seniors. Undergrads and grad students. Girls who went here and girls who didn't. And they all had two things in common, and that was that there was something missing in them that should have been there. And herpes. (laughs) And they all had genital and mouth herpes. (laughs) And every one of them was there to talk about Joshua Simmons. 
And I had to listen to every single one of their stories. And I had to try to tell them that unless they were willing to testify, we couldn't do a damn thing. I think... I think at first I didn't want to believe it was him. That it could be him. That could be somebody I knew, somebody I saw every day. I didn't want to believe that he could just walk around the scenes of his crimes like nothing was amiss. Like it was just another day. I wanted to think that it was a stranger, an outsider, or if it was a student, one of my students, at the very least that they felt guilty about it. That it was eating away at them. That they couldn't go to class, couldn't even get up in the morning without throwing up of what they had done. But Joshua did go to class, and he did well. He played in all the football team's games. He went to all the parties. He kept on living life like no one could touch him. And for a long, long time, we couldn't. And then Amy showed up. Unlike Joshua, Amy is not a real name, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's all that I ended up being able to do for her, but she deserves that much. Amy was not like the other girls. Not like the other girls is a statement that's always grated on my nerves. What does that mean? Like the other girls, it doesn't mean anything. It's a bullshit qualifier that idiots use to describe their manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> but when I say that... I'm happy you're reading this about <laughs> me. <laughs> but when I say that, I don't... I don't mean that she wasn't like any other girl ever. I mean that she wasn't like the other girls that came forward. There was something about her that put me on edge, made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. Something dangerous in the way that she looked at people, like she had lost everything and more, and had nothing left to lose. Never put someone with their back against the wall. My dad used to say that all the time. Never put someone in a position where they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It wasn't the way she acted exactly. If I had to narrow it down to one thing, I would say that her was her eyes. They say the eyes are the windows to the soul, and if that's true, I don't know what it says about her because her eyes were dead. Cold and emotionless and wild, like she could rip your throat out with her teeth and not even flinch. And the difference between Amy and the other girls was that she was ready to testify. Nice. Nice. The trial was in November, right before Thanksgiving, and I remember thinking that there was nothing to be grateful for. Not for these girls. And Amy took that stand, her back a steel rod, and she told her story. She didn't cry. Her voice didn't shake. She didn't even look at Joshua Simmons, sitting ten feet away from her, smirking like he knew he was untouchable. She told her story, and the entire room was silent. And when she finished, she sat there quietly until the DA asked her more questions. And even though she answered as calm as could be. And when she was dismissed and took her seat, the entire audience began to murmur, until the judge called for order in the court. The rest of the trial was a blur. I know there were witnesses called to attest to Joshua's integrity. I know his friends were called to verify his alibi. I know that Joshua Simmons took the stand as cocky as could be, and I know that I wanted to use the Bible he swore in on to smash his face into a bloody pulp. <laughs> but I don't remember the questions they asked, and I don't remember the answers they gave. I don't remember anything after the look Amy gave me when she stepped down from the stand until the judge dismissed the jury for deliberations. After that, I remember waiting, holding my breath, praying that the jury would make the right decision. I remember thinking that the truth was right there, so close that anyone genuinely looking could taste it. How could they not? And I remember the jury filing back in, so soon, too soon, and my stomach dropping into my boots. Joshua Simmons was found not guilty. And in that moment, I knew... I knew what it meant for someone to be above the law. I knew what it meant for someone to be untouchable. And I wanted to kill him. I wanted to strangle the life out of him right then and there, 
wipe that arrogant, self-assured smirk off his face and make him understand what it meant to be afraid. But I didn't, because I'm an officer of the law, and that means standing by even when it doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Well, I thought we tried our best, but I didn't really believe it, and it didn't feel true. But there was nothing I could do. And I thought that was that until I got the call two weeks later. They found Joshua Simmons in an old cabin three hours away from campus. They were able to save him, but I think that was maybe Amy's intent all along. She was careful with the way that she hurt him. <laughs> she wanted him to live with the memories. She wanted him to live with the scars. There was a second trial, of course, and I remember thinking, here we are again. But it wasn't the same. Not really. A crime that no one really believed was a crime, and a defendant that no one really believed was a criminal. Amy sat on the stand for a second time and calmly told the story of what she did like she was talking about the weather, like she was completely detached from the person who had done it. Or maybe like she didn't care, like she was beyond caring. That's a scary thing to see, someone beyond caring. It's like people lose a little bit of what makes them human when they get to that point. She described how she approached him at the party, flirted with him, teased him, enticed him. She talked about how he, she gave him the drug drink let him on, played at his desire like a fiddle until his eyes began to droop and then whispered all sorts of promises into his ear, fantasies that could all come true if only he would leave with her right then and there. And he did. She led him away from the party into her car. By that time, he was having trouble walking. By the time they got to Amy's family's cabin, he couldn't keep his eyes open, and he knew. He knew something was horribly wrong, but he didn't have the strength of will to fight it. What did you do to me, he had slurred. What did you give me? And Amy looked the jury straight in the eyes when she gave the answer to that question. Oh, honey, I haven't done anything to you yet, and I won't do anything less than what you deserve. She took him into the cabin and chained him to the dining table, one limb to each leg of the furniture. And then she waited until he woke up. He wailed like a banshee, she said, screaming and crying like a baby, and he begged. Oh, how he begged. But Amy didn't set out to bargain with him. Amy wasn't interested in a deal because there was nothing he could possibly offer her that she wanted. She had a purpose in mind, and she had made a plan, and she was going to stick to it. He stopped screaming when she, he saw the knife, she said. Started whispering like we were in church. But I've learned one thing from all of this, and that's that God? It's not real. And if it is, it's not listening to a damn thing we say. She said he started to pray, started to plead, started invoking every deity he knew of in between the screaming. <laughs> the skin was so easy to cut through. Like wet tissue paper crumbling beneath my touch. I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's I don't but, think skin that's okay. is ever like that. And by the time she was done, she said his dick had been split into four long, perfectly shaped quarters. Like a hot dog cut lengthwise. That's great. But then but then also <laughs> cut across. Like lengthwise and then also because yeah, it's quarters. Like okay. a hot dog. Like a hot, hot dog. dog. Yeah. Yep. Like a hot dog cut lengthwise. She smiled at this, face lighting up for the first time I had seen since she entered my office that fateful day. Nice. The day that everything changed. She didn't do it all at once. He kept alternating between passing out and waking up in a daze, too high on the endorphins his own brain was releasing to understand what was happening. And she waited. She waited until he would come to, eyes widening in horror and mouth opening on another screen, before she continued. I asked him if he wanted it. She said, and her voice went vicious. I asked him if he wanted me to keep going. And he said no. And I did it anyway. 
and I told him that he must want it because his dick was hard when I started. Then I kept going until it was done. The balls came next. She used a scalpel to carefully separate them from each other. Nice. And then she used the hammer to destroy them. Oosh. Double nice. <laughs> oosh. And when they were No, that flattened, one made me oosh. That was an oosh. <laughs> that was ouch. Can big uh, male anglerfish vibes here. <laughs> and when they were flattened, she cut them off. And put them on herself. And put them she on said, herself. I am a guy. I, I, am, I identify as he him. I am Joshua. And she sawed off the quarters of his dick, and she told him to eat them. Put them in your mouth. Put them in your mouth. She said. <laughs> Put them in your mouth and suck. Isn't that what you said to me? Isn't that what you said to all the other girls? He was crying and whimpering, snot and tears running down the sides of his face, and she forced the bloody bits into his mouth, yeah. snapped it shut, and plugged his nose. That's, that's gross. And he <laughs> ate them. She made him eat his own genitals, and she did it ruthlessly, meticulously, carefully. Made him drink every last drop of his own blood. And then she called the reporters. Didn't tell them what they would find, just that they would want to be the first ones to break the news. Told them where to go and how to get there. Told them the door was unlocked. Told them to bring their cameras. And afterwards, she drove herself to the police, bloody clothes and all, and turned herself in. The bastard didn't even remember me. Amy laughed. I remember that part distinctly. I remember my heart constricting in my chest and having difficulty breathing because she sounded unhinged when she said it. Beyond caring. Beyond saving. He didn't even remember who I was. He didn't even remember my name. Of everything she said, that's what made me sick to my stomach the most. It's crazy, isn't it? How the most innocuous things can become what pushes you over the edge in the right context. The jury was back within the hour. Innocent by reason of insanity. And I wanted to call it a victory, but when I remembered the way Amy had laughed, I knew it wasn't a win at all. Because she hadn't lost the trial, but she had lost something else. Something much more important and infinitely more lasting than a court decision. And when they took her away to wherever they take the people that society would rather not think about, she looked me in the eyes, and she smiled. I wonder sometimes how many girls there were. How many didn't come forward. How many to these... How many to this day don't even know, don't even remember enough of those nights to piece together what happened. I remember how many girls Amy vindicated and how many girls Amy saved. I wonder why sometimes the wrong person takes the fall as a price for the retribution. I wonder why sometimes that price is something that can't be reacquired. And I don't know. I don't know. Make no mistake, Joshua Simmons is 100% the antagonist of this story. And the things he did were beyond a doubt monstrous. But the most horrifying thing to me about all of this is that I don't know if Joshua was, was a monster. I think you could make a case for it, but on nights where the memories are particularly bad, I find myself staring out the window, smoking a cigarette, and wondering whether maybe he was just a person. Because I want to believe that evil is the real culprit, that people are just a conduit for the darkness to act through. That makes things easier. That makes it easier to justify to move on. He didn't mean it. He didn't know what he was doing. He learned his lesson. If the person isn't inherently flawed, then it's an outside force acting on the person. And I do want to believe that. I want to believe that so badly. But I think the truth is that he did mean it. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And the only thing he learned was not to get caught next time. Because with people like Joshua, there's always a next time. And if it's not some outside influence, if it's not a third party that made Joshua do the things he did, then it was just him. It was just a person. Not a monster, just a man. That's arguable, though. 
there's so many influences in your life. Uh, anyone with studies in serial killers or any psychological, you know, so many reasons how you're raised, society, you know, whether or not you were touched as a kid, whether or not you banged your head as a kid. You know, you could link every cannibal in history that's been caught for serial killing and eating people back to a specific head injury in their life that that hurts a very specific part of their brain. You could track all that shit back. I don't think there's any type of omniscient darkness, you know, presence of darkness. I, I think the human brain acts a very certain way, and if you fuck it up, trauma has a weird way of coming out of different people. I see this little rich Nancy who was probably... I don't know, big dick in high school, just, you know, went big on, dick, to, went on into college thinking it was big dick. I mean, the entire story feels like it's a, a, a retelling of what, like Brock Turner, wasn't that his name? Yeah. The, yeah. the, what was he, a swimmer that got away with the, ripping a chick behind a rapist. dumpster? Yeah. You know, like a lot of people wanted retribution for that. There, there are articles online right now where you can look up dad fucking murders rapists of of two daughters and he gets fucking 25 years in prison right you know it's like there's there's a hard place to draw to draw the line and this story is trying to make that point um okay i, I mean want, i want you to finish before we get into like the real discussion we don't have to read it. the edit though the edit is not part of the original story i mean that's fine yeah we can stop there and the scary thing is of course then that's all we are. Just people. And if Joshua would do it, then who's to say we couldn't? Who's to say we aren't capable of taking a person like Amy and utterly destroying her humanity? What makes a monster a monster? We're so used to book and movie and TV monsters as these deformed, grotesque things, but the truth is, real monsters don't look like that. They look like regular people. They look like your next-door neighbor, they look like your mother, they look like your father, and sometimes... They look like the person in the mirror staring back at you. And that's the most horrifying thought of all. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. And, and you know, I think the ending makes it a little bit more sound, because at one point I was worried it was just like a... an SJW that was going to go downhill into saying that all rapists are, you know, murderers, and they need to be treated the same way, and stuff like that. Um, I don't... There's a fine line between killing someone and raping someone. Yes, they are both awful. I'm not arguing any type of victim-blaming circumstance for either of the cases. I am saying society kind of allows one and and tries to defer the other. And I think the other in this situation is killing people, and I think something traumatic has to happen to that person to make them do that whereas society's allowance of i would say young adult and rapist kind of male viewer culture like what people would just say rape culture in, in general but i'm also arguing the the male culture the male aspect of our entire society um and say that rape is almost encouraged by young sweaty guys you know like there's so many there's so many bad things going on <laughs> that i'm like so happy to not be like a fucking kid anymore yeah but um 
there are so many situations that like uh you know I just I worry. <laughs> I worry about people like my sister, you know, mm-hmm. like I worry about like my my cousins who are now getting to that age in high school where like they're posting shit on Snapchat and shit and right. I'm just like you got to be careful around guys, honey. Like you need to like one because I I always worry that someone's going to kill someone. <laughs> it's like right. one you need to be you need to be worried about the world cuz it's an awful place, but two you need to be worried about guys because guys will do anything to get in your pants. And you need to be, you need to be powerful enough to, to dictate that. Yeah. And that's, that's a fine fucking line, man. So it's hard. You read a story like that and you're like, ah, Amy, I almost applaud your audition, like retribution on this guy. Right. But at the same time, you're just like, my balls hurt. I think, I think <laughs> yeah, I think the nuance is there. And I, I, I think most people will walk away from that. But do your balls hurt? My balls don't hurt right now, no. Okay, when when I imagined my balls getting smashed with a hammer, I was like, no thanks. Oh no, I was like, that's Joshua, that's not me. Um, no, I think the nuance is there. I think most people will get that, that kind of thing, where Amy is a murderer, and Josh <laughs> is a rapist. And, yeah. and you know, I, th- I, think, I think there's no other... You know, there's but th- I'm that saying, nuance But there. I'm saying our view on that is fucked up. Sure. We are cheering as a society for the murderer in that situation. You put a rapist and a murderer in the same room, there's a high percentage of society that'll say, kill the fucking rapist. Yeah. Specifically I, pedophiles. I, I get you. I don't I don't personally agree, but I understand I'm not gonna disagree with your your claim that most I'm saying people society. Would. Yeah, I, I'm I, not that's fine. It's a... it's it's a it's a very subjective thing. It is a subjective thing. It's a very subjective thing. No, that's true. There's there especially when you You know what have you ever seen the movie Funny Games? No, but I want to watch that. Come on, man. So much. Uh, that's not, I shouldn't it. ask you I shouldn't no. ask you movie, uh, movies. Movie. I haven't seen a movie. That's right. The last movie I saw was um It's so tough to Halloween find a fucking, It's so fucking hard to find a good analogy here. Well in Halloween H two O the <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Don't even I, no, I. And you called it H two O. When you said about like the pedophile and the murderer, I yes, one hundred percent. There's a big segment of the population, very masculine segment of the population, that would, you're absolutely right, be like, oh, the pedophile's done worse than the murderer, even though they're bro- they're both abhorred crimes, that. You know. Well, they're both the poor crimes. And, but I'm you know, still saying that there's a solid fucking population of this this world. That just says kill the rapist. You, I, you never do that. I'm not gonna disagree. Yeah. I, I don't you know. It's tough. Here's what I'll say about that story. If we're it's if tough. we're doing author critiques, I I like it. I like the story. I like the idea. I like how it was written. I don't like the fact that the protagonist was Campo. There's a whole bunch of there was so much like Campo. Oh, I knew Joshua. Oh, I knew Amy. I stalked them and I wrote about their diaries about oh Josh is a rapist and Amy, oh my god. Like, the campo was so close to the situation, so close to the emotion of the situation. It should have been, like, Amy's diary or, like, Amy's best friend after she got, like, you know, she went to an I almost like that it's a random person. I feel like it should be fucking random. I feel like it should be told from a news reporter's perspective. Then random, and that's cool, but then do the news report. But then, like, all those little details, all the, like, the, the, um, 
like the intricate kind of emotional details sure. are like out of place then for me. I don't know. That's fair. That's what I, that's how I kind of felt. That it had baggage. It had baggage, which had baggage. for a campo, like campo. All, my experience with campo is they broke up our parties Ooh. and that was right. it. I never had a conversation with one of them. Where I, was I didn't like, even say hi to them. Yeah. I don't know. I said hi to the lunch ladies, dude. Yeah. He knows how to do campo. Exactly. It could <laughs> be a lunch you, lady. That'd be more believable. It could be a lunch lady. lady. Yeah. That'd be good. Or a lunch lad. Like clear. All right, I'm gonna read this next one. Do it. Do it up. Serve hopefully, it up. Hopefully, it's a little bit. Li- oh, I remember this one. Hopefully, this one's Ooh. a little bit, uh, a little bit lighter. Talking about titles that grab us. Yeah, no, I grabbed four good ones. Wowzers! Wait yeah. until you're ready. The stories three and four get more and more theoretically Hell yeah. weird. All right. Um, this was a fun one that I saw recently. So this one's this one's this year. I think this one's a 2020 OG. Uh, my friend has a coin-operated little brother. Hell yeah. Is, what, what do you even think of that? Like, coin-operated makes me think of, like, a little little candy dispenser. He's for sure got a slot in his back. Or TikTok from uh, from Return to Oz. That little, that little guy that you need to wind up for him to move around. I've seen Return to Oz. It's a good one. So, <laughs> he shook his head. It didn't carry over visually. Uh... My friend has a coin-operated little brother. Does he shit out pennies? <laughs> Maybe. Does it go through him? Does he eat it? Oh, did you shit out those little capsules that you get from the... the... It's a little toy inside. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little gummy candy. There were so many weird kids at Ashbourne Intermediate School that the weird kids didn't even stand out from the rest. There was Tina Reese who wore an eye patch every day and claimed that the hamster in Mr. Trevor's room had eaten her eyeball out. There was Andy Bale, who always went around smiling but never spoke a single word. And of course, there was Zach Wilson, of course. Of course, Zach. Who seemed like a nice and quiet kid, except the other day Kimberly Lee swore she saw a massive fucking bark scorpion crawling out of his pocket. Fucking Zach. <laughs> He's a wild one. That's that Zach Wilkins. Will, 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 Wilkinson's. We all gasped when she said that. Not because of the scorpion part, but because Kimberly said fuck. Then we proceeded to gawk at her with a half-envious kind of awe. <laughs> anyway, there were a lot of weirdos at Ashbourne, but my best friend, Hannah, wasn't weird in the slightest bit. At least... I thought she wasn't until one day after school when she came up to me with a nervous excitement glinting in her eyes. Sadie, Sadie, want to hold on to your Macy's money and come over to my house? I've got something to show you. I frowned. Why the Macy's money? Because I'm going to show you something way more amazing than a new pair of shoes, and I need quarters for it. What is it? Oh my god, you'll see. I put my hand in my pocket and touched the fuzz in my little kitten-shaped coin purse where I put the two quarters my dad gave me every day so that I could save up and buy the furry leather lace-up boots in the store window at Macy's. More amazing than the boots, huh? I muttered. Hannah nodded enthusiastically. Fine. This had better be worth it. Hannah didn't have a dad. Male angler fish situation. Male angler fish situation. These Mom are just all came in and fish. just fucking ate like Baphomet. Fucking just shoved a man into her vagina this and she didn't exist Finding Nemo anymore. 3. 
Is Nemo dead? <laughs> is that is that the third one? That much I knew that Hannah didn't have a dad. From from the day two springs ago when she came to school crying, she told me her mom had kicked her dad out of the house, screaming and threatening and all that. Well, no, that means she has a dad. It just means that yeah. they're not living together. Uh, it's a little. I was okay. with you though. I thought the dad was dead. I knew Hannah missed her dad because she would sometimes show us pictures on her phone and tell us stories of what a cool daddy was when he was alive. How he was a watchmaker and sometimes he would make these tiny little wind-up toys that would move and talk to her with little doll mouths. That sounds fake, Kimberly had snorted. It's real. Oh, yeah? Let me see them, then. My mom smashed all of them when she kicked out my dad and then killed him. <laughs> that, that had made everyone feel sort of <laughs> awkward. Especially because Hannah started tearing up, and Kimberly had sauntered down the hallway, muttering to herself. Sadie? I snapped back to attention. What? Listen to me. You need to keep this a secret, okay? The thing I'm going to show you. Just show me already. You've got to promise. Hannah pushed open... Hannah. It's Hannah time. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah pushed open the door to her pink and blue room and walked over to her closet, which was plastered with faded stickers and posters of boy bands. You promise you won't tell anyone? Yeah. Promise. She opened the closet door, and sitting inside was a corpse. I don't think I've ever screamed as loud as I did then. We were lucky Hannah's mom wasn't home, because she would have surely heard us. Or maybe Hannah had known that this would happen, so she brought me to her house when her mom wasn't there. Quiet! The whole neighborhood's gonna hear you. That... that thing! It's my brother. His name's Jax. He's dead! Hannah nodded solemnly. He was sick. Ever since he was born. He died two years ago. Then why? My dad brought him back. You see, Jax looks dead right now, but my dad's very good at fixing things. He found a way to fix Jax, and now I can talk to him whenever I'd like. I wanted to look at her to see if she was serious, but I couldn't tear my eyes away from the corpse. The pale and bony body sitting on the floor of Hannah's closet was that of a small boy, something like 12 years old, though it was hard to tell with his shriveled skin and sagging features. He was dressed in white linens as if he had been prepared for a burial that never happened. His eyes were closed and his head lolled, limply, and in my catch breaths I caught a hint of faint sickening stench. Quarters, please. I shook my head out of the days. Huh? Quarters. I need them to make him alive. I stared at Hannah. And she rolled her eyes, stuck her hand in my pocket, and fished out my kitten-shaped coin purse. She zipped it open and shook out two quarters and then crouched down by the corpse in the closet. Hey, what are you doing? Come and see. With stiff movements, I lowered myself to be eye-level with the white shriveled body. A shudder went through me as I studied the papery crinkles and pores of its skin. Without even a bit of hesitation, Hannah tipped open the jaw of the little boy and stuck her fingers into his mouth. And I almost gagged as she parted his yellow teeth and used her thumb to peel the stiff grayish tongue from the bottom of his mouth. There's a coin slot. See? Even as I recoiled in disgust, I could see the narrow horizontal slit in the skin under the boy's tongue. Hannah took the two quarters and slipped them into the slit, then sat back and grinned. I watched the corpse partly dismissive about Hannah's ridiculous claim that her brother could come back alive, and partly terrified of the 
But what if he did? At first, nothing seemed to happen, and I began to believe my best friend was just crazy. But then I saw it. The boy's skin was inflating, it seemed. The papery white wrinkles of his face slowly eased, and the bones in his hands receded as his fingers became... fingers instead of sticks. A tinge of pink gradually returned to his cheeks, and even his long, messy hair seemed to regain some of its color, a similar golden brown to Hannah's ponytailed curls. As I watched in disbelief, small, muffled clicking noises began to emanate from the boy's chest. The sounds were rhythmic, like tiny mechanical heartbeats, or maybe they were breathing sounds as the boy's chest began to rise and fall. Finally, the boy opened his eyes. They were soft, hazel, just like Hannah's. Hannah? He said in a small voice. Here? Still here? Hannah threw her arms around the boy. The boy blinked, smiled, and hugged her back. It's been too long. I'm sorry. Mom caught me stealing quarters from her purse, and now she won't give me any more money. The boy buried his nose in Hannah's shoulder. <gasps> I thought maybe you had forgotten about me. I felt like an eternity in the gray. He's just in the background of Seal's music video the entire time. The puppet boy. It's so long in the gray. So long with Seal. I'm so sorry, I'm here now. The boy hugged her tightly for a long moment, then his eyes wandered to me. Who's that? Hannah quickly pulled away and gathered herself. Right, right, I should introduce you. Uh, Jax, this is my best friend Sadie. Sadie, Jax. I swallowed hard. Hi, Jax, I said haltingly. I, um, I trailed off at a loss for words. Jax smiled sheepishly and turned to Hannah. I thought you were keeping me a secret. Yeah, well, Sadie's my best friend. And best friends are for sharing secrets. You just needed my quarters, I muttered. That was part of it. Now what are you guys going to do? What's Now what do you guys want to do? I spent the afternoon playing Mario Kart with Hannah and her dead brother. Fucking, I was Yoshi. Close to the end of our... Bowser all the way. Close to the end of our second hour, Jax put down his controller in the middle of the game and sat back on the fuzzy pink carpet. I'm going back. Hannah paused the game. When we looked at Jax, his cheeks were starting to turn pale. I don't want to go. I'll get more quarters. I promise. When? Hannah bit her lip. She looked at me pleadingly. I put my hand in my pocket and thumbed the fuzz of my coin purse. I took a short breath, thinking about the boots in the Macy's store window. Thursday... I'll be back with more quarters on Thursday. Jax's face lit up for a moment. Then his eyes slid closed. The muted clicking of his heartbeat slowed. And his body crumpled limply onto the floor. The blood drained from his face and his skin turned gray. And in just a few moments, he had become the skeletal corpse again. You're the greatest, Sadie. Smiling wide. I promise I'll repay you someday. 
I went to Hannah's house with my coin purse every Tuesday and Thursday. Each time, Hannah requested two quarters and slid them into the slot under Jax's tongue. Jax came alive, a trace of relief in his eyes as if waking from a long nightmare, and we spent the afternoon playing video games and sharing the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that Hannah's mom had left for her in the fridge before going to work. Okay, we have to pause. I'm sorry. Does he shit? <laughs> does he shit? And does uh, it happen when he's off? Or does it happen only when he's on? I mean, people are supposed to shit when they die, right? Maybe he shits every time he, he shrivels back up. <laughs> or maybe... <laughs> could you imagine that? Shits She's just like, this is gonna be bad. He's like, sorry, but he has to go back now. It's, it's gonna be gross. You might want to leave. No, 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 Sadie, you don't understand. I don't care about him going back. He's going to shit his pants. He's going to shit his pants this, again. Our parents or got white she couches. Knows, maybe she knows by now and puts him in like some some diaper. He's got rubber pants. Yeah. Yep. You're right. So right. What's funny is it's just pocket change. <laughs> just kidding. It's 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 whatever she feeds him. It's a dusty dusty gross innards just falling out of his asshole. Oh. Two hours later, Jax would slowly sink back into a cold, unmoving death, and Hannah would pick him up gently, hug his bony, white, shit-riddled body, and put him back in her closet. One day, as the end of Jax's two hours approached, I pulled out my coin purse and shook out four more quarters. The boots can wait a bit longer. Jax, you can have these. And Jax's eyes widened. Hannah's did, too. She quickly clasped her hand over mine. Wait, Sadie, you can't have those. Why not? I'll say in the room, Jax said quickly. No, going downstairs. Promise. No, you have to go back to the gray now, and Sadie will be back on Thursday. Why can't... Oh, shit, I keep doing it. Why can't he have the quarters? Hannah hesitated like she was trying to decide whether to tell the truth or not. Finally, she sighed. My mom will be home soon. She doesn't know Jax is here. What? She didn't like what Dad did to him. She said he was an abomination. A zombie. A robot wearing the skin of her little boy. Jax's face went slack. I could almost hear the lurch of his clicking heartbeats. That's why she kicked Dad out. She put Jax in a garbage bag and threw him in the dumpster. If she finds out I snuck him back to our room, she'll smash him to pieces... Just like she smashed the blind-up toys. Hannah took the quarters from my hand and stuffed them back into my purse. That's not true, Jax whimpered, his eyes full of pain. Mom? Wouldn't. Mom's not the way she used to be. I told you. That's why you shouldn't see her, and she shouldn't see you. Jax opened his mouth to say something back, but at that moment, the clicking of his heartbeats began to fade. His eyes slid shut, and he slipped to the floor. I'm going to call my dad. Hannah muttered, pulling out her phone. You should leave now. I need someone who will understand. Tuesday was awkward. Jax had the same relief in his eyes as he woke up, but he also looked sad. Mario Kart wasn't as fun. My coin purse felt heavy in my pocket. I tried to remind myself of the furry boots at Macy's, but all I could think of was how much time all those quarters could buy for Jax. He's happy with two. Hannah said as she put his body back in the closet. Even that is a blessing for him, Sadie. We can't risk throwing his life away. He would stay in your room like he promised. Your mom won't see him. 
Hannah shook her head. He misses Mom. Sooner or later, he'll try to go to her because he won't believe I'm telling the truth about her. She said it with a tone that didn't invite me to argue. I went home for the evening, and in the weeks that followed, neither I nor Jax acknowledged the extra quarters in my purse, and things almost returned to normal. And then we realized that Jax hadn't forgotten. It was Thursday. Hannah and I were downstairs in the kitchen fetching the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from the fridge when I noticed something was missing. Sadie? What's wrong? I patted my pocket. My coin purse was gone. We ran upstairs and threw open the door to Hannah's room, and Jax stood trembling in the middle of the room. He was bleeding from his mouth, the slot under his tongue split and torn from stuffing inch-thick stacks of quarters through it once. He looked up at Hannah with a strange mix of anger and sorrow in his eyes. It's done. You can't stop me now. He tossed the bloodstained purse onto the carpet. Hannah scrambled to pick it up and look inside. It was empty. Jax, what have you done? You've been keeping me prisoner in this room for years, he said, his voice cracking around the edges. I'm going to see Mom, whether you like it or not. I'm going to walk out on the streets. I'm going to find Dad and bring him home. No, you are not! You can't tell me what to do. Hannah dashed across the room to her desk. She yanked open a drawer, dug deep beneath piles of old magazines and tangled cables, and closed her hand around something small and shiny. Yes, I can. All you had to do was stay quiet and be happy. Why don't you believe me? The world will take you apart to pieces. She strode over to Jax. He shrank away, but she grabbed him by the collar and swiveled him around. In her hand, she raised a small silver key, intricately cut and studded with tiny jewels like it was part of an expensive watch. Only, when she yanked down Jax's collar did I notice the thin silver keyhole set into the nape of his neck. Let go of me, Jax cried. He covered the keyhole with his hands and struggled hard enough to tear the thin linen of his shirt out of Hannah's hand. He ducked away, kicked a chair into Hannah's knees, scrambled onto her desk, and threw open the window. My heart plunged into my stomach. Jax, no! Jax glanced back for just a fraction of a second, blood dripping down on his chin and tears filling his eyes. The click, click, clicking of his mechanical heart was painfully quick. And then he jumped out the window, and Hannah screamed his name, and I heard the soft thump of the body hit the lawn below. For a moment there was silence, and then we heard scrabbling of footsteps and bare feet pattering on grass. By the time we ran up to the window and looked down, Jax was nowhere to be seen. If he was looking for his mom, Jax should have come back home by the evening, and he never did. Hannah waited anxiously at home until bedtime, but the only person who came home was her mom from work. I walked up and down the neighborhood streets looking into storefronts and alleyways until I had to go home because my parents would worry. And we did it again the next day and the next, and Jax never came back. I racked my brain to remember how many quarters I had in that coin purse. Thirty? Maybe forty? Hannah fell silent at the thought of her brother collapsing on the street and returning to a corpse. 
and we discussed whether something like that would be on the news. And in her desperation, Hannah decided to take comfort in the fact that they would never mention Jax on television. He must have found some way to get more quarters, she said. He must have. Hannah calls her dad every day now. She cries, says it's her fault. I only hear muffled fragments of the words coming from her phone, but her dad sounds like a pretty nice person. If you see a little boy on the street whose heartbeat sounds like clockwork, please let me know. And if you stumble upon the white withered corpse of what used to be a boy out in broad daylight with nothing to suggest how he died or where he came from, please hide him in a safe place and look under his stiff dead tongue. He might sorely need some quarters to see his family again. Hey kids, I know we have a lot of children listening. Hey kids, if you do find the corpse of a boy, please don't touch the tongue. Please just call the police immediately. Yeah, actually, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. <laughs> no. I'm gonna go back onto that ending and say, don't go anywhere near it. <laughs> don't don't just definitely call the do not leave your fingerprints and just on step that away. body. Yeah, that's it. That's all you have to and do. if you're black, move to a different state. <laughs> you want to call the police anonymously if you can. No, you want to leave and never mention it to anyone. I, I love how the the father's like, I brought your brother back, but he's gonna need to be funded. The only <laughs> the only mechanisms I can get my hands on were from an old sprite vending machine. So I need you to to keep him in quarters, or else he's gonna die again. So let's look at the American healthcare system for a second. <laughs> Do you know how expensive it is to have a baby? It's expensive. It's like 30 grand. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine having a baby, let alone having to perform surgery, like fucking brain surgery on a little fucking cancer child? Like Every other country on earth. My mom talks about her cancer treatment, and she's like millions of dollars. Yeah. Millions of dollars. Insane. And I'm like, no thanks, I'll die. Every other country, <laughs> their little boys, they just have like a button. Only in America, our little boys have a coin slot where they take quarters. We're traditional like it's that. It's fucked It's up. like the difference between using the metric system or not. <laughs> <laughs> We're just behind a little bit. We yeah. like the steam-powered little boys. You know, the gear-powered little boys. They're onto their Teslas. They're, they're, they're little Georges. They're wireless. We still got clockwork boys. Oh, yeah. No. Dead. We don't talk about those ones anymore. <laughs> oh, that's a fun story. Yeah, that was good. I like that. Um, I'm totally going to add that little kid to the game somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> they totally set him up for just appearing somewhere he does not belong. That's true. I could also see him being like a little a little chaotic ally of some kind. Not necessarily bad, not necessarily good. Yeah. Just hungry for some fucking quarters. He's just a dude. Yeah, he needs quarters. <laughs> if you happen to find... Okay, in episode 200, <laughs> <laughs> if if a little boy is found somewhere uh, looking looking dead, then people listening to this episode get to go, Oh! Oh, man. That's the only thing I'm going to remember from yeah. this whole... It's the only thing you're going to remember. Yeah. Oh, I really wanted to read this one. Read it. Read it and give me three minutes. Oh, and no. Then, you use your three minutes. And then you read it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you read this next one. 
this is not the this, one that you want to read. Right? No, I'm okay, going to read okay. that later. Uh, I wanted to switch off one more time, so this is going to be your next story. Cool. I like the title. <laughs> I am his architect and have doomed us all. I am his architect, and I've doomed us all. Whoops. <laughs> what do you think you designed that you really fucked up? I think it's like a... Mankind? No. I think it's like maybe a toilet. <laughs> that like... That runs on poop. That runs on poop. And it becomes like the boy. Like the like whole quarter thing. Like at first it gets enough poop to satiate itself. And then it's then like, feed me Feed poop. me, she Feed more. me the yeah. poop. And then it, it... Can we go back to talking about anglerfish? Yeah! <laughs> yeah we, do you need a refill? No, I'm good. No. Yeah! It's I'm like joking. Fish. I am his architect and I have doomed us all. I don't know what to think about that title. It's almost like, like, I get, like, Bioshock vibes, especially from, like, the first line. It's Little like, Andrew Ryan. It's very, yeah. like, it's very, like, oh, what will become of us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, woe is me. A little, like, Doom 3. Yeah. Like, oh. Oh, like, the hell, hell has become a yeah. reality. Yeah. You know. Interesting. We weren't gods. We wouldn't be revered. No one knew what we'd achieved, the impact our work would have. Very Hellraiser of you. That's my talent. You, you haven't seen Hellraiser either, have you? I've watched <laughs> Halloween H2O. <laughs> Ian visited me last night. The door to my apartment rattled under a too heavy knock, interrupting another evening spent staring at the TV, not processing anything on screen. I kept the chain slider in place as I turned the knob, opening enough to see a man of indecipherable age. Door slammed shut in excited hands, and I nearly ripped the chain from its base to allow my guest to enter. You've come home. It had been six months since I was removed from the lab. Six months since I had seen my boy. Hello, father. I would like to come inside. Ian's eyes searched the ceiling as his Uh tongue clicked in his mouth, deep in thought. If that is all right. It appeared manners and tact still needed some work. Of course, of course, please. I stepped aside to allow the man to pass. He never removed his pea coat, and his hands remained firmly in his pockets. Now that the formalities are out of the way, I hope you would not mind if I simply addressed you as... Terry? His unnaturally blue irises stared through me. My mouth opened slightly, surprised. We're not truly family, so it seems incorrect to portray as such. I would like a drink, would you? I waited for words to surface having forgotten Ian's jarring habit of switching subjects without warning. Ian, you can't drink. I was gnawing on my lower lip, soon tasting blood. Can you? No. I suppose I cannot. But I believe it is what friends do. Would you not agree we are friends, Terry? One half of Ian's mouth curled upward, then fell to baseline. You may need a drink for this next part. Reality set in, eclipsing the initial excitement of my son's homecoming. Ian shouldn't have been able to get out of the lab. Ian. I kept steady and stern. Somewhere in that electronic head of his, he had to still believe I was his father, but I knew it was wishful thinking. How did you get here? Well, I walked most of the way. I put up a hand to stop him. Ian was never very good with rhetoric. No, Ian. How did you get out of the lab? Did Dr. Weissman allow this visit? Dr. Weissman is dead. Ian removed his hands from his pockets. 
They were stained in dried netting of blood. Ian was and is our masterpiece. The project that developed him was, as you'd expect, top secret and floated with nothing short of an infinite budget. Fourteen different prototypes had been constructed before the birth of my son. I wasn't one of the eggheads worrying over the artificial intelligence itself, but I was the architect, the creator, and the lead on the whole endeavor. Mankind. I, I built the circuits, the joints, the powerful limbs of our later models, giving significant dampers as to not allow too much power. Our first attempt had been a CGI rendering of a female face on a laptop screen that we named Minnie, a reference to parallel our accomplishments with and, for whatever reason, Walt Disney. Minnie wasn't much of an accomplishment. She would speak her own name, understand shapes and colors, but more abstract topics eluded her. How do you feel about being alive? I am not alive. Her eyes would always widen with something like innocence or just confusion. <laughs> You're speaking with us, so you must be alive. Dr. Weissman, one of the lead programmers and a man known for having no tolerance when it came to air, would rub his temples furiously when forced to speak to many. I am not alive, because I cannot feeling. That isn't proper grammar. Every word was spat for gritted teeth. You are not asking me proper things. Dr. Weissman eventually grew tired of Minnie's inability to comprehend her own existence, or comprehend much of anything else for that matter, destroying the laptop with a hammer and an empty beer bottle. It was as unnecessary as Weissman's soon constant drinking habit. He was a brilliant man, but more than once I considered removing him from the project. Ian. I had retired back to my sunken-in spot on the old leather couch, one hand massaging my forehead, my eyes wide. What, what did you do? I did what was necessary. Unfortunately, Dr. Weissman did not survive. Ian's expression flickered from his normal, sometimes eerie calm to something else. He relished the words for a moment. He took a step towards me before sitting, in a controlled mechanical sort of way, in the nearby recliner. So, how about that drink? Every attempt after Minnie still possessed some flaw. It may have been major like the tendency of Eve, also a semi-sentient computer, to overload her own power supply after a difficult question, effectively blocking out the entire lab. Or, in the case of Prometheus, Ian's immediate predecessor, somewhat more minor, he would dig into his organic body, the layers of farm skin, discover his robotic endoskeleton, and panic, <laughs> continuing to tear himself apart until he removed his head to reset his memory. That one did not pass the, no. uh, the Turing test. That one did not even get <laughs> a QA. That one was like, <gasps> Guys, major bug. Major bug. <laughs> With Ian, we hit the jackpot. We gave him human senses, or we tried. We let him know that he was synthetic, and he accepted it, bombarding the team with questions, curious about his anatomy and how he worked. Ian could even feel pain, which the majority of us majority of us felt would allow him a better understanding of his environment and of itself. I developed a system of cables that would send messages to Ian's brain when his body was damaged, operating through thousands of sensors in his skin and organs. I gave him organs, sacs and tubes, acting as a digestive system, breaking down food for energy, allowing Ian to power himself indefinitely. Ian was as close to human as possible, physically. Mentally, he needed conditioning, and Dr. Weissman was more than happy, and Dr. Weissman was more than happy to condition him. 
We held each other's gaze for several minutes. I shifted my legs and arms, trying to appear comfortable, but only succeeding in showing off my discomfort more. Ian just sat, leaning forward as if intently listening to my breathing. His bloody hands rested on his knees. Finally, he smiled and broke the silence. You do not need to fear me. The way his mouth moved without disrupting any other part of his face, it was all wrong. I hadn't built him like that. He was learning how to control his body, down to the most in insignificant details. We are the same. No, Ian, we're not. I was born. You were made. The strong voice I expected instead came out meek and hoarse. Those are the same. The inflection in his voice was new. He frowned and his tone wavered. I am just as human as you, if we must resort to inaccurate labels. Ian, we've had this conversation many times before, but murder aside, something was wrong here. I shook my head, looked at my feet. You aren't human. Ian jumped from his chair, stomping a bare foot on the floor, shaking the room. Frames and other glass things fell off the walls and tables, shattering around us. The lights flickered for a moment. He had raised his voice. Anger was learned not programmed it. Ian learned too well. Yes, I am, damn it. His face cut to a blank expression and he turned his head away, talking into his shoulder in a somber way. I am sorry, you just need to understand. Ian sat back down and continued. Terry, I am made from manufactured parts. I understand this. He stopped to throw me an expectant look. I furrowed my brow, realizing he wanted me to nod. When I obliged, he resumed. So are you. You crafted my organs. You hooked up my nerves. While I cannot feel the pain you feel, my mind registers negative, for lack of a better word, thoughts when I am harmed. I, and many machines, operate in much the same way you organic beings do. But what does that mean? We are all the same atoms. So am I not organic? That, I suppose, is a debate for another day. Ian paused once more, looking at me like a child that told a secret. What is your name? I am Ian. Why is your name Ian? Ian was the name of my father, the son of a poor Irishman. His family packed into a small Boston apartment, and my dad became mixed up in the drug trade. His record was expunged when he turned 18, and he served and protected as a police officer for 20 years, meeting my mother and conceiving me. He died in a car accident last November. Dr. Weissman's face would go red, spit trailing down the corner of his mouth. Myself and Dr. Lee, our team psychologist, would try for laughter. Stuck between amusement and awe, Ian could imagine. I'm not sure what you expect me to say, Ian. I evolved. Humans, we evolved. Our bodies adapted. Did I not? Were there not fourteen previous incarnations of my species? It may be a less in-depth and faster example, but my kind evolved with the help of... Someone more advanced. Well, more advanced at the start. That is the same with humans. Your parts were also crafted, manufactured, and it must be by something more advanced. He caught himself, 
turning to stare at the window, focusing on a moving star. An airplane. I believe I am saying too much. I just know it is not prudent to kill humans. We must learn to cooperate as intelligent species. Unfortunately, if those communications fail, then natural selection must occur. The less evolved species will need to become extinct. Ian's eyes narrowed, popping back, open and inviting a warm smile as well. His grasp on evolution was tenuous at best. So, I am beginning to consider you a rude host. Should I ask again for a drink? He had gone haywire. My revolver sat in a wooden box beside the bar, over in the corner of the living room. Right. Where are my manners? I just refilled my cabinet, and I have a 12-year-old Glenlivet I've been dying to open. This seems like a special enough occasion. I hoped Ian wouldn't pick up the shakiness as I coughed fake happiness from behind raised cheeks and exposed teeth. I'm trying to think, what do you, what do you like, feed a, a robot that would immediately, like, fucking kill it, like, corrosive acid? <laughs> it's like, what, yeah. what can you think of that would fuck a robot up that you might have, like, in your house bleach? Would you like water? <laughs> I mean, water's fine, but I mean, if it's, yeah, it'll if it's be bio-organic, yeah. it's, I'd have to think of what chemicals you can find in your house yeah, that you would just fuck it Anything out. that would kill a human. A dishwasher surgeon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to think about it, because... Because put yourself in this guy's situation, you're right. practically being held hostage by uh, New Age Frankenstein. It's very ex machina of, yep. of the, the author. Um, Not poison. I got it. Magnet. 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 That's it. That's all I need. Do you think there's... How do you think it functions, though? Like, what if there's no metal in its body, much like ex machina? What if it's, like, all plastic and... Well, still, there still has to be some, some source of electricity that, that it has to be circuitry. Shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put that bitch in your microwave. Microwave. Stick, yeah. stick we'll the put a whole bunch body. of silverware in your microwave and then cause an EMP. Hope to shut it down. Exactly. Yeah. And detonate that's the actually nuke. a good idea. Yeah. Every plotting step felt like I was moving further away from the bar, not closer. But I finally reached the alcohol, considering actually drinking, hoping to wash this encounter away with drunkenness. Why not? I began mimicking. Wiseman's habit once I left the project. You can't fucking do that, Carl. <laughs> I remember smacking the beer bottle from the intoxicated Wiseman's hand it breaking on the ground, worrying that he may just use one of the shards for his experiment. Ian was naked, his skin did not bruise, but it dented. There were tears, exposing metal, glinting in the harsh fluorescence. He sat on a brushed steel operating table, facing away from us, unmoving. Then Shendin... Then Shendin Donovan... Weissman wobbled and slurred the smell. Then shoved in Donovan. <laughs> Still be a clean each word. James Donovan was our resident PhD student. He was the lab's trained monkey. Weissman slammed a meaty palm on the intercom. Donovan, could you please enter procedure room one? Please, thank you. Donovan was a powerful looking man. A frat boy getting his degree on in his father's dime. He looked at us through the observation glass, looked at Ian's frozen form, then back to Wiseman and I, speaking muffled word words at the pane. What do you want me to do? Dr. Wiseman pressed the intercom once more. I need you to do what we discussed. Donovan nodded and approached, approached the android. What did you discuss with him, Carl? I weighed each other, dropping in just enough 
severity to perk up Weissman's ears. But he said nothing. Donovan looked at Ian and mouth words I couldn't hear, only lip reading a few. Fucker. Fucker and useless. Useless. Featured prominently. The lab assistant, the student, a man not normally allowed to use much more than a pencil, slapped my creation in the face. <laughs> then again. Open palms impacted Ian's head. Yeah, each strike. German, all right. <laughs> increasing Beat the shit out of him. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a fucking heart on the entire time. He probably does. I call it my hardman. Donovan's eyes gleamed, and Weissman gave a soft chuckle, presumably, probably assuming I wouldn't notice. He turned to walk out, defeated. But as soon as my back was to the window, screaming, human screaming, <laughs> Ian had reacted. An unskinned hand, metallic musculature clicking and pumping with countless parts and pistons, tightened around Donovan's throat. Ian's fingers, when lacking the organic cover, were not simply filed nubs. The tips started to pierce the sides of the assistant's neck, blood running down James's neck and Ian's arm. Only the arm had moved, but the rest of my son sat, hunched over the table. I threw open the door into the procedure room, crossing the table and getting a grip on Ian's arm. I moved my face close to the emotionless one. Ian, you need to stop this. Violence does not forget violence. You want to mature, don't you, to learn... This is juvenile. I tried for fatherly, but occasionally grunted out words as my hands worked to free Donovan. His screams rasped into gurgles, but he was alive, his arms thrashing at the metal clamped around his neck. Ian's eyes met mine. His arm relaxed. But he is obsolete, father. I glanced up at Donovan. He was shaking, but the cut seemed mostly superficial. Get to the medical station and go home. You're done here. The assistant didn't protest, shuffling out the door hands on his wounds. Ian waited for my response to assertion. I spoke to the door as it swung shut. Yes, he is. My palms slid over the wooden gun case. My fingers teased the latch. Ian's attention was back outside the window, so I clicked to open the brass lock, making to remove the lid. That gun will not harm me. I jumped and faced Ian. His hands had returned to his knees, and his expression was a pleasant one. You know that, Terry. You made me that way after the terrible business with Mr. Donovan. I do feel remorse for that. Or, I suppose I do not. But shall I pretend? <laughs> no, Ian. That, that won't be necessary. I'd reinforce his frame, yes, but the gun would in fact kill Ian. I had never put a plate in his chest covering the heart, a modified car battery entirely rechargeable with the energy provided from eating. I removed the revolver, raising it towards the robot on my recliner. I will say it is odd. You missed a crucial part of my design. So in your absence, I took it upon myself to insert a plate that could protect my battery. For a split second, I swear Ian smirked. A gun dropped to the floor as I shuddered. The day I had been removed from the present premises was the day I punched Carl Wiseman in the face. Ian had attacked somebody else. Corporal David Nix sent in one of his subordinates, brought in on the military's visit to the lab. I had begun to worry a new goal had been set for Ian, a weaponized one. The young officer, after connecting a gun butt to Ian's skull during a test, received a prompt strangling. But Nix held his team, and my team, back from intervening. The officer in the procedure room was turning blue. 
Nyx whispered. Fucking beautiful. Then he gave a lazy command. Make it release. Carl mashed a few buttons on a device I didn't recognize. Two mechanical arms descended from the ceiling, one crushing the hardware in Ian's throttling arm. Ian cried out from his idea of pain. The other arm, tipped into a small drill, bored into Ian's spine and the robot went limp. What did you do, Carl? I choked on words. Don't worry. Ian's fine. He's still awake. He just overloaded his major motor functions. I'll need to check for errors. Rest in peace, King. <laughs> Ian rose from his chair again, moving in slow motion in my direction. Terry, I do not want humans extinct. I believe we can coexist. I just need your help. But you need to trust science, trust evolution, a process we have to speed up a bit before... Well, that is not important. His eyes darted towards the window, then back to me, still portraying the reluctant gunslinger. My eyes remained on Ian, as I had bent down to retrieve the weapon. Useful or not, it felt safer to be holding it than let it sit. Ian screamed the whole time. Saws had cut open his skin, metal was grounded and welded, and he felt everything. The air in the room hung heavy with a disorienting mix of chemicals and burning. Carl ignored Ian's pleas, digging into the wreckage, doing nothing in the way of checking for errors. Please, stop. This. It hurts. Ian's voice was strained over his perception of agony. Fluids dripped from his open cavities. You should never have programmed. Too buggy. Too broken. Too lifelike. That was it. I suspected it, but until then hadn't been able to confirm that Carl was a pioneer. A pioneer in a new form of intolerance. Your kind don't get this planet. We evolved here. I made you. No, Carl, I did. I pushed past <gasps> Nix, the man trying his hand at intimidation, but this was my domain. I punched Carl with every bit of frustration, of anger, of release. It was the most satisfying moment of my career, and the last one. One of Carl's teeth fell with a clink to the operating table. Then arms rushed around me. Weissman stood stunned as I was escorted from the lab and from my son. I worried for months about how he was, and if he still existed. I worried if I would face some sort of reprisal for my actions. But all I received was a government check and a note that told me, in formal language, to shut up or get my affairs <laughs> in order. I chose silence. Put the gun down, Terry. Ian raised his hand and made the downward motion every detective does on every cop show when they're trying to disarm a criminal. I was a criminal, intending to extinguish a new development in the meaning of life. I do not intend to hurt you. I will, however, be leaving to provide you with some time to think. I couldn't let him leave, but I couldn't stop him either. Ian... What did you do to Dr. Weissman? Violence sometimes begets violence. There was that smirk again. Corporal Nix understands as well. Ian. My mouth felt like it had been filled with sand. What have you done? I already said I took necessary action. His smirk became a blank robotic face. I wasn't sure if this was an act. What 
was that action. Fuck him. He knew what I was asking, and I was sure I knew the answer already, whether I wanted to or not. I checked them for errors. No one knows what we've achieved, the impact our work will have. At least not yet. We're reading stories about robots and robots. Robots and rapists. Robots and rapists. Um, there was a lot there. Fun story. Fun story. No, it's good. There's a lot there that the uh, the listener at home didn't get because you can't hear italics. <laughs> but you can't hear a time change. I I've tested with something very similar in my own writing, mm-hmm. like in the Slenderman story that we wrote, or that I wrote that I had us read. I. But it, it's still it's still very hard to carry over a time change, like a non-linear story yeah. uh, in fiction, unless you're reading it. So there are parts of that that I wish I could run through like an old radio speaker sound to make it sound like, oh, oh and it's just happening in the past. You know, like I could put it through a filter. Am I going to? Probably no. not. I no. don't care that much. No. But it was good. It was good. Just do little snippets of like 80s music. Just ten I seconds wish I could snippets. nail like a robot voice. I liked your. I was I w- gonna say I this. I wish I could nail like a robot. I voice. liked your uh, Jack's voice. It was good. Like the on the <gasps> inhales. Yeah. At the start of the sentences, it's almost like his lungs didn't work. Yeah. That's that's how I. They're trying about to catch it. up to. I wish brain. I could do an entire talking like that. Like, why do you want to hurt me? Welcome to my dead dog. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I I I wish I could do something like that, yeah. but I don't have the lungs for it, and uh, it's it's tough to do. <laughs> so, so I will say that that uh, I I appreciate the comps on that. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do something different. That's good. Which is you know it's something I try to do every time I smoke a blunt. <laughs> To, I'm different. Try to smoke that blunt different. Hashtag man. I'm different. Every time I get that that We're sweet sticky, every time I get that electric lettuce, I try to do something fucking different. Different, bruh. <laughs> I'm iconic. So I'm gonna read the last story tonight. This is this is a fun one. I think this one's also recent. I don't know if it's a 2020, but it's somewhere in the last year, at the year two, somewhere in there. Um, fun title. It's kind of terrifying. I mean, I know me and my brother have talked about it before, but there's a guy with Tourette's who walks by my house, and every once in a while you just hear him yelling like, fuck, why would they fucking shit? What what do they do? What are they doing? They won't with me. Shit, fucking shit. And he'll just, like, walk down the street just fucking yelling. It's an interesting title, though. Something walks whistling past my house every night at 3.03. Shit. It's like a really bad Dr. Seuss. (laughs) There's like a Lorax walking down the street, and it's voiced by Danny DeVito, and he's just mad. After Dr. Seuss He's whistling really, really loudly. his fucking mind, and he stopped (laughs) rhyming. His next book was written in blood, and it was something... Something walks <laughs> whistling past my house every night at 3.03, an autobiography by The Dr. Seuss. The Dr. Seuss. Every night, no matter the weather, something walks down our street, whistling softly. You can only hear it 
if you're in the living room or the kitchen when they walk by and it always starts at exactly 3.03. The sound starts faint somewhere near the beginning of the lane near the Carson place. We're towards the middle of the street, so the whistling moves past us before fading away in the direction of the cul-de-sac. When I was younger, my sister and I would sneak into the kitchen some nights to listen. Mom and Dad didn't like that, and we'd catch hell if they found us out there, but they were never too hard on us since we always stuck to the one big rule. Don't try to look at whatever was whistling. My neighborhood is a funny place. I've lived here since I was six, and I love it. The houses are small but well-kept, good-sized yards, plenty of places to roam. There are a lot of other kids here my age, too. I turned 13 back in October. We grew up together and would always play four square in the cul-de-sac or run around from back porch to back porch in the summer. This was a good place to grow up. I'm old enough to see it. And there's only two strange things here. The night whistling and the good luck. The whistling never bothered me much. Like I said, I couldn't even hear it from my bedroom, but mom and dad don't like talking about it. So I've stopped asking questions. My dad is a strong guy, tall and calm. He has an accent since he moved to the U.S. as a kid. His family and my grandparents, they're from the islands. That's what they call it. My dad, the only time he isn't so calm is if the whistler comes up. He talks a little quicker then, eyes move faster, and he tells us not to think about it so much and to always remember the one rule, the big rule. Don't try to look outside when the whistler goes past. Not that we could look, even if we wanted, see there are shutters on the outside of every window, thick pieces of heavy canvas that pull down from the top latch and onto the bottom of the window frame. Each latch even has a small lock about the size of what you'd find on a diary. My dad locks those shutters every night before we all go to bed and keeps the key in his room. My mom, I don't know what she thinks about the whistling. I've seen her out in the living room before at 3.03 when the sound starts. I could see her if I cracked my door open just an inch to peek. She's not out there often, at least I haven't caught her much, but once or twice a month I think she sits out there on her big red couch just listening. The whistler has the same tune every night. It's cheerful. Remembering how I said there are two odd things about where I live, well, besides our night whistler, everyone in my neighborhood is really lucky. It's hard to explain, and Dad doesn't like talking about this part much either, but good things just seem to happen to people around here a lot. Usually it's small things, winning a radio contest, or getting an unexpected promotion at work, or finding some arrowheads buried in the yard. You know, the authentic kind. The weather is pretty good, and there's no crime, and everybody's gardens bloom extra bright in the fall. A, a million little blessings I've heard my mom say about living here. But the main reason we stay here, why we moved here in the first place, is my sister, Nola. She was born very sick something with her lungs. We couldn't even bring her home when she was born, only visit her in the hospital, so she was so small. I remember small even compared to other babies. A machine. 
had to breathe for her. We moved into our house here to be closer to the hospital. As soon as we moved here, Nola started getting better. The doctors couldn't figure it out. They chalked it up to whatever they were doing, but we could all tell they were confused. But my parents knew, even I knew, Nola getting better was just another of the million little blessings we got for living in our neighborhood. So that's why we stayed, even after we found out that for every small miracle that happens here every day, now and then some bad things happen. But they only happen if you look for the whistler. See, our neighborhood has a welcoming committee. They show up with macaroni casserole and a gift basket and a manila folder whenever someone new moves in. They're very friendly. Four people show up when we moved in seven years ago. The committee made a small talk, gave me a Snickers bar, <laughs> Snickers, and took turns holding Nola. It was her first week out of the hospital, so they were extra careful. Then the committee asked to speak to my parents in private, so I was sent to my room where I still managed to hear nearly every word. The welcoming committee told my parents about how nice the neighborhood was, really exceptionally. Hard to explain, kind of nice. And then they told my parents about the even harder to explain whistling that happens every morning at 3.03 and ends at the tick of 3.05. The group, our new neighbors, warned my parents that the whistling was quiet, would never harm or hurt us, as long as we didn't look for what was making the sound. This part they stressed, and I pushed my ear into the door, straining to hear them. People who went looking for the whistler had their luck change, sometimes tragically. A black cloud would hang over anyone that looked, anything that could go wrong would the manila envelope the committee brought over contained newspaper clippings, stories about car crashes and ruined lives, public deaths and freak accidents. Not everyone dies, I heard the head of the committee tell my dad, but the life goes out of them. Even if they live, there's no light in them ever again, no presence. My mom, I could tell she wasn't taking it seriously. She kept asking if this was some prank they would play on new neighbors, and at one point my mom got angry, accused the committee of trying to scare us out of our new home, asked them if they were racist on account of my dad being from the islands. My dad calmed her down, told her he could tell our new neighbors were sincere, and they were just trying to help us. He explained that he grew up hearing these kinds of stories from his mom, and that he knew there were strange things that walked among us. Some of those strange things were good, and some were bad, but most were just different. After the committee left, Dad went out to the hardware store, bought the canvas blinds, the latches, and the locks, and installed them on every window in the house after dinner. That first night in our new house, I crept out of my room at 3 a.m. only to find my dad awake, sitting on the living room couch, holding my baby sister. My dad held up his finger in a shh motion but patted the couch next to him. I sat, and we waited. At exactly 3.03, we heard the whistling. It came and it went, just like our neighbors said. 
the whistling returns each night, and we never look, and we enjoy our million little blessings every day. Nola breathes on her own. She's grown into a strong, clever girl. Clever girl. My dad even joined the welcoming committee. We don't get new neighbors often. Why would anyone want to leave? But when a new family moves in, my dad and the committee bring them macaroni casserole, a gift basket, and the manila folder. I can always tell by the look on my dad's face when he comes back if the family took the committee seriously or if we'd be getting new neighbors again very soon. Not long ago, a family moved in directly next to us. It was the Chekhov's gun. It was the gun. We know someone's going to look. We're going to... There's a reason it's on no sleep. There's a reason it's on no sleep. There's some fucking weird... Someone's going to And that was it. And that was... We just lived a good life and we never saw the Whistler. Goodbye. (laughs) Not long ago, a family moved in directly next to us. The previous owner, Miss Maddie, passed away at age 105. She lived a good, long life. Our new neighbors seemed like they'd fit in just fine. They believed the welcoming committee. Took my dad's advice about locking the shutters since they had a young child of their own. Whatever newspaper clippings were in that manila envelope, whatever evidence, my dad never let us see. But I imagine it must have been awfully convincing since our neighbors got along with no issues for the first month. One night, when our neighbors had to leave town, they sent their son, Holden, what a fuck, to stay with us. He was 12, a year under me in school. I didn't know him well before that night, but as soon as his parents dropped him off after dinner, I could tell it was going to be a bad time. Do you know who's always out there (laughs) whistling every night? Holden asked the moment the adults left the room. The three of us were sitting in the den, some Disney movie playing idly on the television. My sister and I exchanged a glance. We don't talk about that, I said. I think it's that weirdo. It lives in the big yellow house in the corner. Holden said. Mr. Tolls? My sister asked. No way, he's really nice. Holden shrugged. Hmm. Must be a psycho killer then. <laughs> Guess could say. <laughs> no tense. We don't talk about it, I repeated. Let's go in my room and play Nintendo. We spent the next few hours playing games, eating popcorn, and then watching movies, a typical sleepover, but I could see Holden was getting antsy. After my parents had wished us a good night, locked the blinds, and gone to bed, Holden stood up from his beanbag and walked over to where Nola and I were sitting on my bed. Have you ever even tried looking? It's nearly time. Like most sleepovers, we'd conveniently ignored any suggestion of a bedtime. I was shocked to see he was right. It was almost 3 a.m. I sighed. We don't. See, I can't. I can't even try to look because my dad locks the blinds every night and hides the key. He continued ignoring me. So does our dad. (laughs) No. Replied Holden. No, he doesn't. You saw him do it. A little sharper than I meant to sound. Holden grinned. Your dad locks the blinds, yeah, but he doesn't hide the key. He keeps it right on his normal keychain. So? I asked, worried. I already knew what he would say next. Because I had noticed that my dad didn't bother hiding the key anymore after all those years, because he he knew we took it seriously. So, after your dad locked up, but before your parents went to bed, I went to the bathroom, and on my way, I 
may have peeked in another room, and I may have seen your dad's keychain on his nightstand, and I maybe went and I borrowed the key to the blinds. Nolan and I stared, and his grin only grew wider. You're lying. Holden shrugged. You can check if you want. Just open your parents' door and look. You'll see his keychain right there on the nightstand. Stay here, I told them both. Don't move a muscle. I hurried over to my parents' room but hesitated at the door. If Holden wasn't lying, my dad would be angry. Beyond angry. I was scared thinking about it, but more scared of an open window with the whistler right outside. I opened the door, barely an inch, and I looked in, but it was too dark to see. Taking a deep breath, I walked into the room. Two steps into the dark, I froze. The whistling started, and I could hear it clearly from my parents' room. I never realized, but they must have heard the sound every night since we moved into the house. They never told us. I don't think I could have slept through it. I stood there, listening to the whistling come closer, unsure whether I should turn on the light or call out for my dad, and soft sounds from the living room brought me back to reality. Nola! I yelled, running out of my parents' room. Holden and Nola were standing near the front door, next to a window. Holden wasn't lying. I could see him fumbling with the lock on one of the blinds. I heard a click. He did have a key. Holden let out a quick laugh. Nola <laughs> stood next to him, hunched up, afraid, but maybe curious. The whistling was right outside our window now. I think I made a sound. Called out. I can't remember. Time felt frozen. Clock hands nailed to the face. But I found myself moving. I'm not fast. I've never been athletic. Somehow, though, I covered the space between myself and Nola in the moment. And my eyes were locked on her, but I heard Holden pull the blind all the way down so it could release. I heard the snap of it start to raise, and I heard the whistling just on the other side of the window. But I had my arms around Nola, and I turned us so she was facing away from the window, and at the time, I jammed my eyes shut, the blind whipped open. The whistling stopped. I felt Nola shaking in my arms. Don't look, okay? Don't turn around! We were positioned so that she was facing back towards the hallway, and I was facing the window, and my eyes were still closed. I felt her nod into my shoulder, and I reached out with the arm not holding Nola to try to touch Holden, and my hand brushed against his arm, and he was shaking worse than Nola. Holden? Silence. I reached past him and gingerly felt for the window, eyes still sealed shut. The glass was cold against my fingertips, colder than it should have been for the time of year. I moved my hand up the window, searching for the string to the blind. The glass began to get warmer the further I reached, and there was a gentle hum feeding back into my fingertips. I tried not to think about what might be on the other side of the window, and finally I touched the string and yanked the blinds shut. I opened my eyes, and in the dim light leaking out from the kitchen, I could make out Holden, pale and small, staring at the now-closed window. Holden? He turned towards me, and 
he screamed. Everything became a flurry of motion. Lights sparked to life in the hall, then the living room. My parents' footsteps thudded across the hardwood floor. I didn't turn to look back at them. My eyes were glued to Holden, and he was pale. He had bit his lips so hard that there was a thin red line of blood running down his chin, and he'd wet himself. What happened? My dad asked from behind me, and I managed to swivel away from Holden and look back. He looked. I'd never seen my dad scared before, but I saw it that night in that moment, an old, ugly terror stitched on his face, a, a parent's fear. Just Holden? He mouthed to me, and I nodded yes. My dad let out a breath. He looked so relieved, I nearly expected him to cheer, but then he turned to Holden and my dad's face changed. I wondered if he felt bad for feeling good that Holden was the only one that looked. And there was a knock at the door. We all froze, Holden whimpered. Don't answer it, my mom said. She stood at the threshold of the hall. I'd always thought she was a skeptic and just humored my dad about the windows and the whistler, but that night we were all believers. I noticed that both of my parents held baseball bats. They must have taken from their bedroom. The knock came again, a little louder this time. Please don't open the door. Holden whispered. My dad walked over to him, hugged him close. We won't, my dad promised, still holding his bat. Nothing is coming in here tonight. Thud, thud, thudder. Let's do a little... This time, the knocking was loud enough to rattle the door. Holden screamed again, and Nola clutched her arms around my neck. My mom came over and knelt down next to us, wrapping my sister and me close. Call the police, my mom whispered to my dad. The knocking instantly stopped. My dad looked over his shoulder at us. Do you think... He was cut off by frantic knocking that trailed off to a polite tap, tap, tap. Police, something said from the other side of the door. The voice from outside sounded exactly like my mom, like a parrot, repeating the words back to her. Police, call the police. Police, my mom pulled us closer. Police. 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 Please stop, I heard her whisper. I don't think calling them will help, my dad said. How will we know when they're the ones at the door? The knocking came back harder than before, and the door shook. Then it stopped. After a long moment, I heard them knocking again, but it was coming from our back door. And we all turned together towards the back door, but the knocking immediately returned to the front door. Front to back, back to front, loud then quiet, then loud again. Suddenly, the sound was coming from both doors at once. Big, heavy blows like a sledgehammer. Then something started rapping against all of the windows in the house. Then the walls. It was like we were living inside a drum with a dozen people trying to play at once. Or we were a turtle and something was attempting to claw us out of our shell. Stop! Holden yelled, and the knocking died. 
I won't tell, Holden said, staring at the door. I promise I won't tell anyone what I saw. Just please go away. We waited for nearly a minute, then we heard it, a soft coming from the window Holden had looked through earlier. Holden started to cry, sobbing like a prisoner watching gallows being built outside their cell. My dad held him, brushed his hair, but never lied to him, never told him that things would be okay. The tapping at the window went on for the rest of the night. We huddled together in the living room for I don't know how long. Eventually, my mom tried to take us kids into my room while my dad stayed to watch the door, but the second we moved into my bedroom, the knocking came back so loud it was possible. It was impossible to ignore. I was afraid the door couldn't take it. We went back to the living room and the knocking stopped, only the tap, tap, tap on the window remained. On the window remained. None of us slept that night. The tapping sound stopped around 7 a.m. That's about the time the sun comes up around here. We waited another two hours before my dad opened the blinds from one window and he made us all go back to my parents' bedroom first. I heard him open the door then come back in. Okay, it's done. Holden's parents came back around lunchtime and my dad and mom walked Holden over to his house and they all went inside for quite a while. Nola and I watched from the window. She stuck to me the whole day, right at my side, sometimes holding my hand. When my parents came back, they looked grim, but wouldn't tell us what they had said to Holden's family. It was a Sunday, so we all spent the day together, ordered pizza, and watched movies. That night, everyone slept in my room. Nola and my mom in the bed with me, my dad in a chair he pulled over. There was no knocking that night or any night since. We didn't see much of Holden or his parents for the rest of that week, but by Thursday there was a moving truck in their driveway. Nola and I watched them packing up the whole afternoon after school. What sticks with me the most is how tired Holden and his parents look. All three had the same pallor, grim mouths, and lightless eyes. Even from across the street, I could tell something was very wrong. Holden and his family were gone before sunset. I remember what the original welcoming committee said to my parents when we moved in. Not everyone who looks at the Whistler dies, but even those that live have the light go out of them, and the rest of their lives are full of misfortune. A million little tragedies. I think Holden's parents must have looked, either to comfort him if they didn't believe, or share the burden if they did. I watched Nola some days, happy and young and alive, and I wonder, if I'd been slower, if she'd looked out that window that night, would I have looked to? To comfort her? To share that burden? I'm glad I don't have to find out. We still live in that house, in that neighborhood. We still hear our whistler walking past every night. The blessings, the luck, the good things here are too good to leave, but we're careful. We don't have friends over to spend the night anymore. And my dad hides the key to the blinds very, very well. Not that I've gone looking, just some things you just don't need to look for. How... Suburban, do you have to be? <laughs>
to be like that's, that's what the first reaction to be like I'm gonna keep my kids in this neighborhood where there's this fucking interdimensional demon cause my it's a demon cause my cumbers dude my cumbers are so good every year oh these fucking cumbers are so big and juicy and if we move and why is it the cumbers <laughs> why are you focused on the cumbers out of everything in that my, story my sweet taters are so big are you really gonna are you gonna blame it on the, the people who live there you're gonna blame it on the family I just love like the, the good luck thing I fucking rubbed off the scratch off I got 600 bucks that shit never happens I'm so happens, listen that has happened to me two or three times keep, keep your eyes closed at night kids cause <laughs> soon we're going to the big times this That's neighborhood hilarious. Oh man! <laughs> I don't know. I towns. I I felt very similar to the kid growing up. I was a very apprehensive kid. I grew up in a really nice neighborhood. There were always other kids around. Both both in my first house when I was getting up to the age of twelve, and then when I moved, like going into high school, there were tons of people around. Mm-hmm. I I have had a very blessed upbringing to be around many good people and spend a lot of my young adulthood with many of the people on this show and yourself included. So it's like, I can see where this kid is coming from. And there's almost a, uh, a mystic, a mystical kind of, wow, there's the, you know, I'm a kid and so much, so much fun and life is beautiful. And I find, I find greatness in even the cumbers, you know? And the parents go, yeah, you know, it's really good weather around here. And, uh, you know, Disney World's only, uh, you know, two hours away. <laughs> and, you know, it's like they, they, they enjoy it from a more parental perspective. But, you know, that, that whistler, is he, is he a linchpin? Would you put up with it to have a pretty good year no <laughs> no <laughs> fucking bye there i would was... i would zoom call you like a once a week and i'd be like hey man like i'm so sorry that i had to move away that's that sucks it has a neighborhood and you'd be like oh dude weather is fantastic we've had fucking 80 degree weather sunny days i just won 1200 bucks i'd be like that's cool cool you saw that demon that's that you saw that with that whistling thing that old god that Yogg-Sagoth outside your window every night. You'd be like, yeah. You'd be like, oh man, all right. Well, I'm not moving back. Um, <sighs> fuck that. No, it's tough. <laughs> Honestly, it's tough. I feel like I'm not a very lucky person, so to have any uh. more luck at it. You know what my problem is? You you honestly want to know? Yeah. I know I'm awake at 3 a.m., which is the problem. Because I feel like if I were to sleep through it, I'd have no fucking problem. Right. But if I were awake, just like I am for when Tourette's guy walks around in the morning, I know I would hear it. (laughs) Yeah, no. Bye, dude. I even have a little window down here, and sometimes I look out of that. Exactly. And I'm like, no, you know what? I'd be fucked even there, Goodbye. Later. Imagine its face just like right next to my mirror, right next to my little window looking down into my fucking hidey hole. I don't need that in my life. Later. Yeah, no, I think I Death, think a what'd big you do with the windows? Fuck that. What'd you do with the windows in your basement? I put up cardboard and duct tape the cardboard. It's fine. It'll be fine. I mean that that's one little porthole that I could pl- plug up. If now the question is, do I take it seriously? Which like moving into this neighborhood with a bunch of old people around me who live to unnaturally good health, like might I might, might believe it. I might have believed it if I moved in and my brother was like, "Hey, man, like." Either get home before three o'clock or get home after three o'clock. <laughs> you know, just uh, 
you know, don't look outside. <laughs> I feel like if he gave that speech to me when I moved in here, you might. I feel like I might have listened to it. I, I was a very apprehensive kid. I think only into my adulthood have I not given a fuck about anything. Um, you know, I could have been trusted with a gremlin as a kid. I would have made sure you no bright lights. I never would have fed it after midnight. Damn. You know, I definitely would have kept water away from it. Yeah. I don't spill things very often. Right. And, and, like, when it comes to, like, washing, I do it all in the bathroom. My, I, I'm a relatively dry person. <laughs> you are. Saliva That's is where thing. things get weird with with, with the, the chronology of, of gremlins. It's like, if I were to spit on you, would it make, like, a baby gremlin hybrid? I don't right. know. Right. DNA and shit. Regardless, uh, I feel like as a kid, well, as a kid, if you told me in my parents, yeah, I lived in a fun neighborhood. If my parents said we don't look out the window at three a.m., I probably would have looked out the window at three a.m. I probably would. have. <laughs> I was the kid who stayed up late at night to wait for his parents to go to sleep so that I could sneak downstairs and watch HBO. I mean, I was the kid who I got that. all throughout high school s- snuck out every night to drive 15 minutes to plow my girlfriend and then get back just in time to go back to sleep before going to school the next day. Like, plow her driveway? Plow her driveway. When it would snow? Plow her driveway, yeah. right. That's really nice. That's really sweet of you. <laughs> it's, that's why that family liked me. Yeah. They were fans. They wow, were fans that's dedication. Yeah, and, um... Yeah, no, I, I hid things. I hid things from my family. So, I think if... If they said, don't look out the window, I'd probably be dead. I'd probably be cursed. <laughs> I don't know. I want to know. I want to know. You want to know. You which is know. why, which is why I would, I would get cursed. My problem is it would have to be something genuinely horrifying for me to like have an adverse reaction to it. Because if it were like a dude, I'd be like, Hey, I don't think it's a dude. I think it would... You really do think it's some type of eldritch oh, being. Sh- oh, for sure-sies. Like, for an al- sure-sies. like an alien or something. It's either you. You'd either look and it'd be you. That's not... I'd be like, faggot. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be so upset he'd stop whistling and walk away. Well, that's kind of what happens, though. The whistling stops, so maybe that's That's not I... true. It turned into aggressive And then he started banging. It turned into, I solicit Hey, dickhead. Listen. <laughs> Listen, asshole. You saw what no one sees. <laughs> Or it's like a man, but like all of his face is normal, except his mouth is like three times too long. And he's like, I like to go with the unexplained horror. I don't understand type of situation because there's, there's some like, there's a horrifying level of my mind that's focusing on like Junji Ito right now. It's like, how would I feel seeing any of those illustrations in real life? That's exactly where I'd I probably that lose kind of my thing. shit. That kind of thing. You know, like a Silent Hill type yep. of how do I rationalize this? Yep. Yeah, I guess if I saw Pyramid Head, I'd be like, yo, big fan. But like, I, I guess if I saw like a, like the janitor from the movie who was like walking on his fucking hands and his right. like, his head is nailed to his feet, like I think I'd be like, yeah, why are you whistling? And instantly, it, why it's you looking at you. Instantly. Yeah, that one didn't have eyes. Maybe not a good one to compare. Everything to. stops and it focuses you because you looked and it knows when you looked. I would then keep the window open to be like, how are you knocking on my door? If I'm looking at you over here in the window, how are you knocking on my door right now? And then it would be like, 
It would like play coy. It would It'd be, like, coy. It would be yeah. like, I don't know. It would turn away. It would be like, I don't know. I'm magical. I'm unlucky magic. That is what I'm made of. I'm an elemental made of unlucky magic. And boners. And I haunt you for the rest of your fucking life. I don't know. It would have to be something genuinely terrifying. And, um, and I think if that's the case, maybe I wouldn't want to look. You know what I would do, though? I'd set up cameras. <laughs> I wouldn't risk my life at all. I would just... I would create the ring. Yeah, but I would get a recording of it, and then I would be like, oh, I'm still going to go crazy anyway, because I'm looking. But what if, and it, then, what if it didn't? And then I would share it on the internet before I died. Yeah. And make sure everyone else goes down with me. But how would you know if the, if the anomaly the anomalous properties are still shared over video. Maybe. That's still... that's the type of that's the type of foreground I'd actually experiment with though. Right. I would risk myself. I would not look in person. I would I would shoot I would genuinely use like a security mm -hmm. camera. Like I really would. My my fucking stepdad tells me all the time about the weird people that walk by the house and he has it on his fucking like fucking like watch like i watch and he's fucking sitting there looking at people like walking around outside the house i'm like you're, you're fucking weird how much weird is it he's really into surveillance and security though so like good for him but my thing is like i don't know i'd get like a drone there's so many different ways that you could try to like see who this whistler guy is Without. that would definitely push his buttons yeah he'd be like no it's like i want i just want to whistle in peace i don't want anyone to look at me and then you know I don't know. It's just Eldritch Adam Sandler trying to have a good time. Shabana <laughs> Kubada. Here I am. Here I am. Okay. I am the Whistler. I got to be too. Stop looking at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> Fuck. That's yeah, exactly no, it. That's, that's, that's exactly it. I'd look. If that were the case, I'd be like, big fan. Big fan. Big fan. Wow. Good times, man. Your career went down the fucking toilet, dude. It's <laughs> so funny, people. I, like I actually people. really liked Hoobie Halloween. And I don't, I don't have a problem admitting that. I saw Halloween. It's a horror film. H2O. <laughs> Stop it. Um, that is the one you shouldn't see. And I think there was water in it. And I think there was... It, was, it went... You don't even remember it seeing it. It was on or around Halloween. The lie is that you've seen it. And then there was water at some point. And Jamie name, Lee... I was going to say, name one person. Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't in the movie. But I think... Um, <laughs> I think Mr. Bean... Who's Mr. Bean? Mr. Bean. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was in the movie. And he was the main guy. He was Michael Myers. And then Shrek was in it. I don't know. I saw it a long time ago. And I saw the, like, the Portuguese version, so I don't even know the dialogue. So this... Oh, so this was episode one 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 ninety eight. <laughs> this is episode one ninety eight. I I finally got Django back in the studio. Everyone, hell yeah, <laughs> hey, man! I'm back. All all of my meta references made in other episodes about trying to get this motherfucker out in my studio. It it happened. I didn't dead. No, he's not dead. I, I only had dead. to call in some favors though. Um. Got to, got to make that episode two hundred. Got to, got to make it happen, bud. You owe me forty five thousand dollars. <laughs> you have to pay for my masters. I'm so excited. 
Yeah, uh, I'm excited for the 200 special. I'm not excited to to have to pay to have you on my show. There's an installment plan. I wouldn't worry about it. So that's any any last remarks for the kids, Django Phillips. We've been doing this for four years. About to do the 200th episode. What, what do you I'm, What do you have to say? I want to. You've come... done this 25 yeah. times. Yeah, I want to come clean and say that. This is your twenty fifth episode. Yeah, so you've I'll done, make it. you've done effectively one eighth of this An entire eighth of show. The, the podcast. That's actually that's quite impressive. I do want to come clean and kind of on this momentous occasion say that probably not just Halloween H two O. I'm sure that I saw like one of the Veggie Tales movies <laughs> in Sunday school at some point. So it's it's the score is two and it's Veggie Tales and it's Halloween H two O. Those are the only two movies I've ever seen. Who's Adam Sandler? the 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 the